On this episode, we head to the bottom of the world rankings as our CONCACAF laser focus locks in on Anguilla, and we'll be joined by our first guest, John Arnold, to discuss the Anguillans and more. This is the world of CONCACAF. Welcome to the World of CONCACAF podcast. I'm Eric Schmitz. I'm Donald Wine. And I'm Jonathan Slape. And before we dive in, I do want to say a quick shout out to our brother Jeffrey Slape for putting together the the theme song and uh, the other music for us. You can find him on Instagram at J underscore Slate and then on Spotify at Jeffrey Slate. Yeah. Thank you for doing that. The vibe is very important to this podcast. So between the music and I have to shout out my dear friend, Leah Voigt, the logos and word marks, the look and the sound of this podcast is just as important as the content. So good vibes all around. They made us look professional out the gate. I don't know how they did that or or what we did to deserve it, but we really appreciate it. Perception is reality. So (laughs) (laughs) definitely, most definitely. What are you guys drinking tonight? Drinking a little uh, Cuba Libre with a little uh, Plantation Five Year. So it was St. Patrick's Day, and because of that, the Guinness Brewery is up the road from me in Baltimore. I didn't go up there to get this beer, but I went to the store where they distribute and got <laughs> some Guinness Blonde, which is only made in Maryland, and of oh. course some Guinness uh, Draft Stout, uh, and created a black and tan. You out there can't see this, but Eric and Jonathan can. It's not really black or tan but <laughs> it is delicious as, as long as it tastes good um i'm still going back to our barbados episode with some mount gay rum and there you go and seven up so sticking to what i know we've got a lot to get to this podcast uh so we're gonna go right into the Concacaf newswire jonathan why don't you lead us off yeah so we're gonna start off Concacaf newswire talking about costa rica and kaylor navas a recent lawsuit defamation claim. Basically, uh, the the gist of it is that Taylor Navis has been accused, along with two other players, of losing games on purpose in order to get the coach fired, which is just, I mean, I wouldn't say is peak CONCACAF, like, you know, accusations and and things around throwing games to to get a coach fired of getting Pinto fired is, is pink CONCACAF. I know there's still some ongoing uh, litigation. I know the trial started yesterday, so we don't really have a ton of information, but that's really the big piece of CONCACAF news. I just question wh- who's deciding to put into a contract saying that the contract could be rescinded if he loses three games in a row. Like, which side is looking at that? that so that might be the most okay. That might be the most CONCACAF thing of this whole of this whole process, right? Like they have in the, a clause in his contract saying lose three in a row, and the fact is that the players and everyone else knew about it. So is <laughs> one thing if I like I might have some you know in my contract I might have some secret little provision that only when it happens I go hey by the way this already happened so I get my money. They were outright like yo if he loses three in a row he has to we have to fire him and everyone knew about it. So of course someone would be like I hate this guy. Let's get him out of here. All we got to do is lose three times. So like who like who leaked that? Was that a situation of like you know the the 
the player found out from someone within the federation is like, yo, I know you guys hate this dude, <laughs> but like, so just go like lose three games and he's gone. Or like, what was what was that situation? It was probably like it was probably like, hey, I'm not asking you to throw games. I'm not telling you to throw games. I'm just saying that if he happened to lose three in a row, he might mm-hmm. happen to have a clause in his contract that fires him, and they and they took it from there. Or if the situation is like, I know he's already lost two, but you know I've heard some things, and if he loses tonight, he's done. <laughs> How desperate was he to get this job and get this deal done that he would accept something like that? Like. You you have to understand, like, if you're Costa Rica, you're you're expecting to win a lot of games, but you know you're not winning every game. This you know some, there's losses coming. This is some entry level intern free you know free uh, non paid internship type of contract. <laughs> yeah, someone copied that contract from somewhere, <laughs> from Zocdoc or whatever it is. <laughs> Rocket lawyer. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Jeff. Donald, let's, I think we need to move on. Yeah, so there's better news, at least if you're an American fan. It was kind of shocking, but very welcome this week as Yunus Musa announced that he had committed to the United States. He was the captain for England's youth national teams and was also eligible to play for Italy and Ghana, but he is now part of the American Corps. He's 18 years old, one of 13 Americans that have had two caps before he turned 18. A great get, dynamic midfielder. And it had everyone excited. I know all three of us as American fans were excited. You cannot spell Musa without USA. And now it's official. He's gang gang now. So congrats to Eunice Musa. Congrats to everybody with the men's national team. We got a winner, guys. I mean, for me, the big takeaway from this is that bullying works. <laughs> he, 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 said it, he said it. He said the American fans were great. And that's what happened. Like, this is a quote. After the last camp, a lot of people already thought of me as a USA player. Even on FIFA, they changed my flag to USA. The US supporters have been really warm and made me feel wanted and appreciated. They gave me huge support even when I'm with my club. I love seeing all their comments on Instagram, especially all the flags. So if there are dual nationals out there, please let us know that you are open to be swayed by engagement on your Instagram because we can make that happen. Whatever emojis you need. If you need a power emoji, if you need the bang emoji, whatever it is, like just let us know. Happen. Just let us. I know. think the next person we got to go after is is Florin uh, Balagoon, uh, who was on, who was on Eunice's uh, Instagram, who's also a dual national, an an English uh, American dual national. Um, given given the handshakes, I mean, I think he may be our next uh, our next target. Yeah, and just, everyone already jumped on that, replying to that reply, just flag, 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 like. I threw some flags on there. You know, whatever gets it done. I'm trying to win <laughs> yeah, the World Cup here. We don't make the rules. We just enforce them. Yeah. And I think I, I think I took especially, uh, you know, felt good about the fact that, like, it was only a few days earlier that, like, English media was like, oh, we're, we feel very confident that he's going to choose England over, I mean, over the United yeah. States. Like, like we, we, don't, we don't doubt that he's going to play for England. And then, like, four days later, he was like, yo, what's up? Yeah. No, I, th- I want to say that article came out on the 2nd, and the U.S. soccer, the article that I saw about Musa committing to the U.S. said he had a conversation with U.S. soccer on the 4th. So it was like two days. Where it's like <laughs> England says, oh, no, we're confident he's coming our way. He's like, yeah, nah. I don't think so, guys. But uh, speaking of dual nationals, Jonathan, not so good yeah. news. Eh, well, what do you, what do you think? 
I, I mean, I think with Mikel Antonio that we you know we touched on on the last podcast, uh, the chance of him uh, coming on and you know playing for Jamaica. But I think that you know him officially making that official is is good news. And then the other dual national piece um, relating to both uh, Mexico and the U.S. is is Efren Alvarez accepting a call up to Mexico. The interesting thing I think about the Alvarez thing is that Greg Berhalter came out and said, I encourage this. Like, we want him to go over there. Yeah, he, he, I was on the press conference when he said that, and he basically said, I told him to go to Mexico, not because I don't want him here, but because I want him to kind of get that experience. He, he had mentioned that in December he had been called in and he had gotten the experience with the American national team. And then he said, I want him to be educated and be well-rounded on what his decision is. And he can only do that by knowing what that environment is like so he can compare and do whatever he needs to do to make a decision. I guess having the swagger to say, hey, you know what? Go hang out with them. See if you come back. Like, that is a flex. That's a, that's a big flex, and it's a big step. Because, like, American soccer, obviously, we've got all like somewhat of an inferiority complex. Like, oh, no, everyone's going to choose the other country. They don't want to play for us because everyone thinks we're assholes. But this is like, sure, go hang out with them. Look, DMX said proudly, give a dog a bone, leave a dog alone, let a dog roam, and he'll find his way home. That is what he's doing. <laughs> he's basically saying, hey, I'm going to Mexico. See if you like it over there. And then, and then you could come back over here and play for us. What a flex. Yeah. Man, man is hot right now. Greg is getting it done. We'll, we'll trust him on that. The defining thing so far of Greg's tenure as a national team coach is, the, I mean, a lot of it has to do with the fact that we haven't played any games of merit is, excuse me, we did win our CONCACAF Nations League group. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I I, to- I actually totally forgot that he was the coach at CONCACAF Nations League. It has been so long since we've had meaningful like soccer that it 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 has just just slipped my mind. But I think a lot of it, I, how he's been able to get dual nationals in, um, searching high and low, um, and and making them when they come into camp, uh, buy they're obviously buying into uh, to the project that he's selling them. All right, moving away from dual nationals, Donald, what's going on in Canada? Canada is in kind of a controversial pickle right now, at least amongst Canadian fans. They had their Canadian championship, and it was supposed to be this weekend. But Canada postponed the championship, which was supposed to take place between Toronto FC of Major League Soccer and Forge FC of the Canadian Premier League. It was supposed to be where those two teams played. They had already played the tournament to get to that final, and the winner was going to qualify for the 2021 CONCACAF Champions League, which begins in just a few weeks. But the reason why it was postponed was, one, Forge FC had expressed concerns over the fact that Canada had not, or at least their local health officials, had not granted them permission to begin training yet. I mean, we're three days away from the game. They're like, hey, we don't have a way to train. Also, on top of that, Toronto was training because they were able to, but they also got a bunch of COVID and they had to stop practicing because of a massive outbreak amongst their team. I believe it's the second one that they've had uh, in recent months. So the two teams said, hey, you can't practice. We can't practice. And they got together with the Federation and they made an agreement to postpone the championship and that Toronto FC would take the Champions League spot. That is the controversial part. A lot of people don't like that decision, namely, of course, Toronto FC's rivals, especially Club de Foot uh, in Montreal. 
but it seems like they just set it up so that TSC would move through. So Forge FC fans are also very upset about this development. So theoretically, it's not canceled. The match is supposed to take place at this point. But at, at right now, I wouldn't be surprised if they just eventually cancel it and just move on with the 2021 version of the Canadian Championship Tournament. I mean, it really does suck for Forge FC. And it sucks for the Canadian Premier League in general. Because, like, getting a team into a competition like that is a huge step for your league. And this is their only way to do it. Yeah. It's the only way they can do it. And to just kind of get assigned... I take that back. They can, do, they can do the they can do Concacaf League and make their yeah, way yeah. in that way, but it's still only it's the same team. So yeah. like Forge FC was in the Concacaf League, they lost that, so they're like, oh, I, we can't make Champions League, so now we got to go and try and play in the Canadian Championship and see if we can make it that way. So they really, you know, it's it's hard for them to do it, and I think for these leagues that are one A getting into Concacaf Champions League is a must for them to kind of get that money and and help their teams kind of stay afloat. This was a way for Forge FC to do it, and it's tragic that they don't get that opportunity. Yeah, I mean, we know that with the expansion of of nation of, of Champions League coming, they'll have a chance to get in because the, the Canadian Premier League will have, have some spots, but, I mean, that, that's a few years down the road, and I know that, I mean, this was a great chance for them to, to make it in and potentially make some waves in the Champions League. Yeah, like even if they don't win any of those games, like that's huge for their brand to say, hey, we are the premier team in this league. Because, I mean, the Canadian Premier League is trying to attract talent from all over the world as well. Like they're trying to build it up. So, yeah, tough draw for them. It's the way it goes sometimes. Jonathan, what do we got about Panama? All right. So World Cup qualifying is coming up. Uh, very soon, uh, you know, in the, in the next week or so. Uh, but the big news is that Panama is moving their uh, their home match against Barbados for uh, World Cup qualifying. There have been some issues due to their stadium, and so they're moving it to to the Dominican Republic when they play Barbados. And so they will actually be able to have fans as well. So twenty five percent capacity. I don't know if you guys have looked into the ability for us to get into Dominican Republic on a week's notice, but uh, I don't think we can get in. Uh, we, can. Would l- we can. We can. We can. So Ooh. I would just say Dominican Republic, we can be neutral observers. We're very good at that. We can also be impartial or partial <laughs> observers. We're very good at that as well. We are for hire if you need us cheering for one team or another. Yeah, Panada, Panama and Barbados, if you are listening – we can be impartial observers as well. We could just have shirts that say go team and we could just change the color of the shirt <laughs> depending on the team. Exactly. I'm off I, next week too, so. Well, <laughs> I, I mean, I there are so many, and we'll get to this more later on in the episode. Um, there's so many neutral site games happening in this window. Like if you can get to Florida or you can get to... Um, one of these other countries that's hosting a bunch of games, you can go see a lot of soccer. Like for some reason, all these teams are playing neutral site games in Florida and you could go to a game a day. If you could drive around Florida, whether it's IMG Academy or in Orlando or Miami, like you can get there, go enjoy. But uh, yeah, apparently they're expecting at least 500 Panama fans to be able to get to that game and when we're talking about cl- a lot of closed door matches that is I feel like that almost is somewhat of an advantage like you've seen it in 
North American pro sports where with these empty stadiums, once the teams that can have fans can have a few fans, it's like a massive difference. Like the, the gap between 2000 fans and 50,000 fans is not nearly as wide as zero fans to 2000 fans. Like we, it's all for the for the brief uh, moment, like in England, when when fans were allowed in, uh, there was you know twenty five hundred fans in there, and that made a huge huge difference in, in an atmosphere. Uh, and we saw those teams do well. So I mean, five hundred uh, Panamanians in uh, Dominican Republic could make a huge difference between that and having no fans. Interesting note, though, I've asked a couple of of the U twenty three. United States players about this because uh, CONCACAF Olympic qualifying is going to have 20% or 25% of capacity for those games. And I asked them about having that energy in the stands, what it does to them on the field in college basketball all year. I've been interviewing players who've said, we really miss the fans because that energy fuels us and gives us that motivation and that extra boost in the soccer field. They don't really say that. They kind of say like, yeah, it's cool to have them there and it gives an atmosphere. But for us, it doesn't change anything and it doesn't change our energy on the field. And I think that's interesting to note that it may provide – I feel like the fan atmosphere is for the fans. It's not necessarily to boost the players on the field. Now, if it's a full house, that's I think that's a different question. But having, like you said, zero fans to 2,500 fans, whatever, where you can see them and just kind of pick them out and kind of count them from the bench if you're sitting down. like that it doesn't really move the needle for them. And it just kind of says they, they have to adjust their approach a little bit, especially given COVID where a lot of them haven't played in front of fans yet. Yeah. It's almost like a minor league baseball thing where it's like, if someone in the stands decides to pick one guy to harass, he's hearing you the whole he's game. Hurt. He's going to hear it. <laughs> yeah. He's going to hear everything you say. It's going to be like uh dude. It's going to be like Randy Quaid in major league two, <laughs> when he's just, just yelling at Rick Vaughn the entire movie. I think I loathe you. (laughs) (laughs) All right, we're going to take a quick break. Coming up next, our CONCACAF laser focus on Anguilla. We'll be right back. Yank Threads is an American soccer company and your go-to source for soccer jersey customization. Whether it's your favorite club team or national team, Yank Threads will customize your jersey with official name sets, patches, and embellishments. Yank Threads has the professional-grade equipment, and they pay attention to detail to complete your jersey with a professional look. Soccer fans care about their kits, so go to the company made by soccer fans. For more information, go to yankthreads.com or follow them on social media at Yank Threads. Yank Threads, made for fans, made by fans. All right, today's CONCACAF Laser Focus is the nation of Anguilla. Jonathan, tell us about Anguilla. So Anguilla is, they're a British overseas territory. So they're located in the uh, the Lesser Antilles. They're a little bit east of Puerto Rico. So if you find Puerto Rico in the Caribbean, and then just go a little bit to the east and you'll find Anguilla. Uh, they have a population of about 15,000. And its capital and largest city is the Valley which I think is just a fantastic name for a city. Like, where are you from? I'm from the Valley. Like, oh, like, what? No, I'm from the Valley, which I, I just think is, is a super cool uh, thing. So we've got um, one Valley. <laughs> you, got, you got one Valley. I mean, it's, it's not a huge 
area. But um, Anguilla was first settled by indigenous Amer Indian peoples who migrated up from South America. One of the things I found fascinating is there's artifacts on the island that date back to around 1300 BC. Uh, and um, the remains of settlements on the island go back to 600 AD. So while it is a newer territory and newer than it was, is, was a nation at one point, um, you know, the culture of Anguilla goes back thousands of years. It was first colonized by the English uh, from St. Kitts in the 1650s, but most recently in the 1950s and 1960s, um, they were attached to uh, St. Kitts and Nevis. There was an uprising in, in 67. The Anguillans ejected the St. Kitts police force from the island uh, and declared themselves their own nation. And if you have a chance, the original flag and crest of the nation of Anguilla, which was a short-lived nation, is fantastic. The the little bit the shield is still on the the flag to this date, um, but it is just the crest with dolphins in a circle. Um, it, it it is it is fantastic. It came back into underneath the British overseas territory in seventy one uh, after a, a referendum, uh, and there was you know a little bit of uprising, but it officially was back with the Anguillan Act of July nineteen seventy one. A little bit just about the, the island itself it's a flat low-lying island so there's really only one valley hence the name of the city the city um but there's a few islands around uh, like small little caves and stuff that that are also a part of anguilla from a culture and 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 with it being an english territory you know cricket rugby union those are still sports that, that are big um soccer is is kind of been like the third sport uh, and then from like a, a, a cuisine aspect, um, of course, with any of these nations, uh, these these islands, seafood is is king. The official national food is pigeon peas and rice. There's a, only a little bit of beef. Uh, goat is probably the biggest other meat other than any kind of uh, seafood that they eat. Um, and then one of the things I thought was interesting is, is Anguilla is one of the few countries that does not allow, not few, it's one of the islands that does not allow any kind of cruise ships. So when you go to Anguilla, they don't allow cruise ships. They don't allow tall, um, you know, skyscrapers. So it's a very, you know, serene uh, and kind of natural gem. There's a lot of snorkeling around the coral reefs. Um, it's just a beautiful, uh, like, natural wonder uh, in Angu on the island. Sounds lovely. Absolutely. And... Let's get into the soccer part of things. Jonathan was great to give us a bit of the history of the country, but we'll talk about the history of the soccer league. Mainly, there is one league there, the AFA Senior Male League. They do have a senior female league that is kind of starting to get started, uh, but they haven't really done much with it yet. So we'll talk about the Senior Male League very quickly. It was created in 1997. Even with that, that was 24 years ago. So they don't have much history with their league no Anguillan team has ever played in the CFU Club Championship or the CONCACAF League. So think about that. In 24 years, not a single team from this island has played in confederational play. There's only 10 teams in the league, and all but one play in the Valley, the lone town of Anguilla. And, and as 
Eric said, the capital. The league ended in 2020 with the playoffs between the top four teams with the Roaring Lions winning it all. That was the first year that they had done a playoff. Before that, it was just a single table. The Roaring Lions are the team that not only are defending champions, they also have the most titles with eight. They're also the lone team that doesn't play out of the Valley. Their home ground is in an area of the country called Stony Ground. Now, Jonathan mentioned the Republic of Anguilla's flag and even the coat of arms. That coat of arms is special. Uh, and it has undoubtedly led to the best crest in CONCACAF. Again, three orange dolphins forming a circle, same as the coat of arms on their flag. So Anguilla, I'm telling you, each of us won a jersey. I don't know how you get it to us. I really don't care. Home but or away, it doesn't matter. Home, home or away. away, if it has the dolphins in it in a circle, you could you could give us whatever number you want. It does not matter. No, let's number. make that happen. No number. I, no, I number. Feel, no number. In a number, you the number could be a dolphin. It could be a fourth dolphin. <laughs> if, if that is not, if, if that's something that is like out of bounds, I apologize. But we need we need the dolphins, man. We need those with us. So. Anguillan F- Football Association, I need you to send us all some jerseys. Just figure out how to get it. We'll give we'll you our address, everything. Hit us up on WhatsApp. Exactly. I, we all have WhatsApp. We can make it happen. So segueing from that, I'll talk briefly about the women's national team and its history. Now, they don't have a lot of history. I, I keep saying this because Anguilla has really gotten into soccer in the last like 20 years. For women's national team, they began in 2003. And despite that year playing in four matches, none of them were FIFA recognized. They only played two FIFA recognized matches the following year in 2004. To date, guys, do you have a guess as to how many games the women's national team has played? I'm going to say, say 25. I'm, you said 2004 they started? Yep. 2003 and the first FIFA recognized match was 2004. It's got to be at least 15. 10. They have only played 10 matches in their history. The last one came in 2018 when they attempted to qualify for the Women's World Cup. It clearly didn't go well. Their record over their history, three wins, one draw, six defeats. Let me tell you about this. They haven't even done well enough to be ranked. They've never (laughs) been ranked, which is crazy. FIFA, they are a FIFA-recognized nation, but they are not ranked because they have not played enough games to get enough points to be ranked. Their best match was a 2-0 victory over Grenada back in March 2010. Their worst defeat, a 10-0 stomping at the hands of Puerto Rico during World Cup qualifying back in 2018. So Anguilla's women's national team is one of these teams that will benefit from the creation of the CONCACAF Women's Nations League, which starts in 2023. This tournament is geared to get these teams just like this that barely play the chance to have more games on a regular basis. So that will help them as they try to put more resources into the game. Question. Are there other nations that don't have that, that their women's team or even their men's team, I would probably not men's team that don't have enough matches to be ranked. Are they the only unranked team? No, they're not Uh, for the women's game. I I'm not sure how many, but I don't believe the rankings go down to 211. Like it does for the men. Or 210, only, whatever it is. I want to say it only goes to like the 140s. So yeah, there's right. a lot of countries, especially even in CONCACAF, we will, we will get to other countries that are in that same situation. And there's some nations that just don't have them. It's not even that they're ranked. They don't even have a women's team. No. So uh, it's very recent. And, we'll, and oh, those of you out there will see, a lot of times we'll talk about the men's history, and it's 
dating back to the early 1900s. And then we'll talk about the women's history and it's very recent. And there is unfortunately a reason behind that is because they did not really invest into the women's game until much late. Yeah. A lot of room for improvement. Speaking of a lot of room for improvement, let's talk about the Anguilla men's national team. I want to take you to the February 2021 FIFA rankings. If you pull that up and you scroll down to the bottom of the list, at 205, you'll see Eritrea. At 206, you'll see Sri Lanka, formerly Ceylon. Uh, at 207, you'll see the U.S. Virgin Islands. At 208, the British Virgin Islands. And just above 210, San Marino, is Anguilla at 209. Anguilla has not had a lot of success with their men's national team. Uh, their first international match was a 1-0 loss to the British Virgin Islands back in 1985. They had, like we've seen with the women's team, but not to the same extent. They just haven't played a lot of games. Um, it, from the records I was able to find, we're looking at about 80 games played over the course of 30 years. Well, actually, that's we're closer to 35 years. Uh, their biggest win, one of their few wins, uh, a 4-1 win over Montserrat, which probably would qualify as their best win back in 2001. The countries that they've been able to beat the most British Virgin Islands, they've beat three times. St. Martin, they've beat twice. They've got a couple of wins against some other countries. But in the records I could find of 81 games played, we're looking at seven wins, five draws, and 69 losses. Nice. Not not so nice. Not nice. Not nice nice for them. Nice for the teams they get to play. Question. Did you find in, in your in your looking at the, the Anguilla national team, do they have a big rivalry with St. Kitts? I mean, just because looking at my history, uh, there was a lot of, I would say animosity, I, I think is the best word to put it, uh, between them and St. Kitts. I, and I would like to think that it is a ma- uh, rivalry match and I would love to be invited to. The records I have indicate that they've played three times with St. Kitts and Nevis taking all three matches. Nothing here about fierce rivalries between supporters groups or anything of that nature. Throwing um, conch shells at each other. <laughs> I mean, things get wild down in those islands. <laughs> but yeah, so Anguilla's had a rough go. They've never qualified for a World Cup, never qualified for a Gold Cup, never even qualified for a Caribbean Cup. Like, they don't get a lot of high-end action. Actually, in Nations League, the 2019-2020 Nations League. Uh, they were in League C, Group C. They were stuck with Guatemala and Puerto Rico. Their four games, they went 0-4. Zero wins, zero draws, four losses. Uh, their goal differential was minus 19. They got whooped. Actually, in between some of those games, in November 2019, they had a friendly before their last CAF Nations League game. They had a friendly against Trinidad and Tobago. That pl- they played in Trinidad. Trinidad beat them 15 nil before they had their last game. They played Puerto Rico a couple days later. Uh, and again, this was November 2019. They have not played a game since. So it's been a long, long stretch. And now they've got World Cup qualifying coming up. Historically, they have struggled in World Cup qualifying. If you go back to the last cycle, uh, the first round they were drawn against Nicaragua. 
away in the first leg, they lost 5-0. At home in the second leg, they lost 3-0. The last time Anguilla scored a goal in World Cup qualifying was March of 2000 in the 2002 cycle against Bahamas. Since then, seven losses and a scoreless draw to the Dominican Republic in 2006. They are in a dry spell. And now, looking ahead, they've got World Cup qualifying starting later this month. Uh, They've got a game technically home against the Dominican Republic uh, that's going to be played in Miami. And then they face Barbados on the road in the Dominican Republic. So they play the Dominican Republic in Miami, and then they play Barbados in the Dominican Republic. CONCACAF in 2021. It's a beautiful thing. The hope for Anguilla is that they've spent a lot of time rebuilding their program. Uh, They recently hired Stern John, the former Trinidad and Tobago international. Uh, He is their new coach. And they've been building up their program, kind of trying to do it organically. They haven't been able to pull uh, dual nationals very well. But Anguilla is super interesting. And one of the best pieces I've found on it recently uh, was an article by John Arnold in his Getting CONCACAF newsletter uh, back in December about the Anguilla program. So on that note, we're going to talk to John Arnold about Anguilla talk about CONCACAF in general, and talk about World Cup qualifying. So we'll be right back with John Arnold. All right, we're back. It's time for the debut of a new segment called Let's get a bucket, where we get a figurative bucket of beers and chat CONCACAF with a special guest. Donald, who's our guest today? So this week, our first ever interview on the World of CONCACAF podcast is John Arnold. John is a freelance writer, and he covers mostly soccer in the Americas. He writes for The Striker Texas, which is focusing on Texas soccer. And he has his own CONCACAF newsletter, which he calls Getting CONCACAF, which is perfect. It's a perfect name for a perfect Accurate. newsletter. It, it covers a lot about CONCACAF and all its teams. And as Eric said, he had done an article a few weeks ago or a couple months ago about Anguilla. So we were like, let's get John on. So we got John on and we sit down with him to talk about everything CONCACAF, why it's so awesome. We talk about Anguilla and their chances in World Cup qualifying this month and just their program and how they've gone from really couch to having some semblance of a program and also we get into world cup qualifying in general kind of talking about which teams we need to look out for which teams could surprise and others that really need to get out blazing in these first couple of games finally and i know you guys out there will like this john arnold is our contestant on real team or fake team so we will also have that as well but that is John Arnold. Here is our interview with him. We hope you enjoy. All right, joining us, our first guest on the World of CONCACAF from the Getting CONCACAF newsletter, uh, highly recommended reading. Uh, please welcome John Arnold. John, how are you doing today? I'm good. It's good to be here, guys. I'm glad we can bring our CONCACAF 
our obscure CONCACAF publications together. Together we are stronger, so it's good to be here. <laughs> just just merging the power today. Let's just start out with what's so great about CONCACAF? Yeah, I definitely think, you know, we can we could also spend an equal amount of time on what's bad or what's wrong. But, you know, CONCACAF to me has always appealed, first of all, because it's ours. You know, like this is, you know, I'm American. I lived in Mexico, you know, and my Mexican friends, it's like, yeah, like maybe you want to break away from CONCACAF, but but it's ours. This is our thing. And, and we can grow this and we can make this better. I think that's that's a lot of fun. But the other thing is that I think that there's no other there's no other region that kind of smashes as much things together as this one. Asia has their east-west, uh, you know, even the, their Champions League is broken down like that. And there are enormous cultural differences between like a Bahrain and, a, and Australia, right? But, you know, you look at the challenges this region faces and it's like, okay, let's take a Turks and Caicos Islands or, or, or Antigua and Barbuda. And it's like, oh, the, the issue there is that cricket is too popular. Most Central American countries, it's like, ah, oh, the issue is like finances and like real life stuff and politics gets in the way. And then you have like Mexico and, and the U.S. and Canada. And it's like, what's the issue there? And it's like, ah, well, we're kind of on a different level. and We're trying to do different things and trying to break up. So I just think like that there's beauty in that sort of uh, that roux, I guess, that sauce of kind of everything coming together and mixing. And when you see a U.S. versus Panama, you just have so many different different things at play in that specific matchup that I've just drawn out of a hat, basically, you know, you have like colonialism as also a factor. And so like all these different things, I'm not saying that doesn't happen in other parts of the, of the world. I'm not saying it doesn't happen in UEFA, but I just think like there's, there's, there's so many things that get blended together in such a fascinating way. That so few people are talking about that, that to me, it just excites me. And that's why I love being able to tell those stories. Yo, so on that note, right? Like, I think we all are kind of in it for the same reason. It's quirky. It's, it's wild at some points. It, it's just on the borderline ridiculous at, at others. What is the, if there was a moment, where was that moment where you were watching a game and you're like, oh my God, I love this so much. Like, was there a CONCACAF moment for you that basically got you saying, I'm all in? Yeah, I was already starting to do quote unquote coverage of CONCACAF when the last day of the 2014 World Cup cycle happened. Um, the qualification, you know, uh, and that just pushes it over the edge, right? It's just like, this is unbelievable. And what this means, you know, Panama and Mexico and like the different feelings that these countries have after the games go the way that they do, you know, Mexico commentators going crazy thinking Graham Zussi and God in that order you know, it's just like that for me was a moment where I was just like, oh, this matters a lot to a lot of people. And even though, like I'm saying, like, and I think it's very easy for people to say like, oh, CONCACAF, who cares or whatever. And it's like, yeah, but like even in Panama where it's like, a, oh, like baseball first, maybe the this the despair after being so close and then the joy that came four years later, you know, that's something that that is real and that's like worth talking about and worth trying to encapsulate and worth sharing with a larger audience so for me as a journalist but also just as a nut uh that that night was just the the pinnacle now in talking about uh those moments um one of the 
the focus of this episode is Anguilla. And you wrote a piece uh, back in December about Anguilla's national team, the worst team in the world. Um, tell us more about Anguilla and their story. Yeah, absolutely. I, I called it the worst team in the world's plan to get rid of that label. That's a little bit of false branding on my part because San Marino's technically lower, but only barely. So, uh, I, you know, I had to get that in there. I just think it's like such a such an interesting thing. And, and that's what I set out to know is like, what does it feel like to have, I guess it's one thing to be bad and another thing to have everyone in the world looking at you being bad, right? And, and have that number next to your name where it's like, yeah, you're the worst every single time. And it's like, there's still guys who want to play for the national team. And like, there's still guys who have dreams of, in this case, like scoring goals in World Cup qualification, maybe getting a draw or getting a win at one point, right? But that's that's the level, right? Whereas like, you know, a lot of other countries have different goals. Anguilla's goal is like, can we score? And then can we get a draw? And then can we get a win, right? And so I just thought it was going to be interesting. And it was interesting to dig into that perspective you know, speaking to Jermaine Hughes, the player, uh, you know, this is a guy who and, and it's like personally affected him because he he went to other countries and it's like, you know, you talk about sometimes like Jamaica has trouble sometimes getting work permits. Players have trouble getting work permits or or even the U.S. right in the U.K. getting work permits because of the FIFA rankings. Well, imagine if you're the second worst ranked FIFA team in the country, no one's going to give you a work permit based on your, you know, quote unquote skill, because they look at the ranking, the number next to your country's name and you're they're like, nah, you're not good, man. And so he wasn't able to sort of have this career internationally that maybe if he was born in a country, a hundred spots up the FIFA rankings that he would have been able to have. Right. So those kind of personal stories, we don't think about a lot and we don't get the chance to tell. And so it was a pleasure for me to be able to kind of, kind of dig into it. You do have, you know, first of all, they did an amazing job against uh, COVID-19. Their league was back rolling almost immediately because they had three cases. They don't have an ICU on the island, so they can't let COVID run loose, but they had three cases. Everyone quickly recovered. And then they were like, well, we don't have COVID on this island. We can just keep kind of living life as we, as we, as we like. And they did, and they had the league going. And so like that could help them get a little bit of an edge on some of the other teams in the Caribbean. But more likely it's just this long-term vision that they're adopting. They're saying we need to start developing players at, at the school level. There's one school. So they're divided into almost like Harry Potter houses. It's, it's kind of how they made it sound. Maybe I'm misreading that, but that's what it sounded like. So they, they've kind of got the little, uh, like, I think it's four, maybe six and they're called like purple or orange or whatever. So like they're just based on color. And so they're, they're, they're you know, that system is trying to get going and they're trying to figure out how to do coaching and all these other things. So, you know, that growth and that sort of willingness to accept that, yeah, we're bad right now. We're probably going to be bad for a minute, but then in a decade, maybe we'll be able to be good. I think that's another, like, it's a smart strategy. It's a bit of a risk because maybe it doesn't work and you're still bad, but they truly have nowhere to go, but up again with the caveat that they could go down exactly one spot. So it was good to talk to those guys and talk to, you know, and, and, and look, the access is pretty good too. I was able to talk to the Federation president, which, you know, Typically, when you call up a, a country and you're just like, hey, can I talk to the Federation president? And they're like, who the heck are you? But Anguilla was like, yeah, yeah, we, you know, let me get you his number, that kind of thing. So it was good to talk to those people and those leaders and hear about their strategy because you need one. You need a good strategy. And the other kind of the crazy thing is that they're like, we can also get better right now. And so they hired Stern John uh, to be their national team coach. So uh, <laughs> the, the coach he replaced is the FA president's uh cousin 
but they were like both very clear that like hey there's no drama here like we're all good everything's cool um and like we both kind of welcomed this and talked about this and wanted to do this because now the former coach nigel connor he's like i can actually get a coaching education from someone who played you know in england and played abroad and like has been a coach uh you know for a team a club in the in the trinidad and tobago league but also an assistant i believe for the national team and some of the youth setup so someone who maybe doesn't have a, a stacked coaching resume but we all know his name from what he did from his playing career and just simply that experience i think will be enormous for a country that really doesn't have any of that to fall back on now did you get a sense that from stern john that he sees this as a long-term project or is this kind of a stepping stone for him? Yeah, I didn't get to talk to him for that piece. I've since heard him in a couple different other interviews. I, I don't know. I, I can't really tell, but I think like even the fact that we're asking that question, and I think it's Eric, a totally good question to ask, like shows progress in the region because for so long in the Caribbean, it was okay. You play, you lose. And then four years later you play and you lose again. And that was it. Now with the advent of the Nations League, with other tournaments that CONCACAF is sort of facilitating with the expansion of the Gold Cup, you're seeing teams sort of say there's no option but to create some sort of project or to hire a Stern John. And if he leaves after two games, that's fine. We'll like get what we can from him and maybe find someone similar, right? So I think that just the simple fact that, that Anguilla is hiring a guy like Stern John, that Stern John is taking a job like Anguilla and that, that it's a... It's, it definitely feels like it could be more than a four-game appointment is progress. It's not remarkable, but it is it is progress. Yeah, so looking at uh, Anguilla specifically, what do you think success for them looks like in World Cup qualifying? Honestly, I think not getting rocked is a success. Um, they've, had, they've had one draw in four cycles. So, I mean, if they could get a draw this time, it would be big. I don't like their chances against the Dominican Republic. Barbados and Dominica, yeah, you know, maybe you could see something coming out of those games. So, you know, if they truly, if they get a draw, I think it's a success. Even if they score a fair amount of goals, it'd be a, a, a success. They haven't scored a goal in, in qualification since the 2002 cycle, if I'm not mistaken. So, yeah. Look, like it truly is at that level where it's just like if you score, it is better than you've ever been in recent memory, right? So, yeah, it's not a high bar. It's not a high bar, but at the same time, it would mean a lot to them if they were able to clear it. And and I think that that's the kind of thing you build on, right? Even, you know, in the U.S., it would be absurd to say we scored a goal in qualification. Let's build on that. Let's remember that moment. Let's put it on Twitter as like a highlight. But that's how it will be if, if Anguilla is able to score. And certainly if they're able to get a result, again, I think, I, I you know, it's not happening, I don't think, against the Dominican Republic. I, it's definitely not happening against Panama in June. But the other two games, it's like, yeah, maybe you could see it. Yeah. Not a lot has happened over the last year as far as international soccer goes, as far as competition. But even going back to Nations League, Anguilla, they didn't, win they didn't get any games but like how important do you think having those games is to a country like anguilla no it's huge it's huge and i just think it gives you something to prepare for as well right because just simply having the competition and knowing that you're going to have those games is such such a big a big 
uh, impact. It's such a it's such a critical thing that just the fact that you're having these these games that are happening regularly, right? So I think it's it's enormous for a, a lot of countries, not just Anguilla. Anguilla got ha- kind of hosed because they got stuck in the same group as Guatemala. And Guatemala is not a league C team, right? I think they're right there on the border between A and B, but they were in C. They got stuck in there because of the FIFA suspension. Their their federation was suspended, and then they got reactivated after everything was already drawn. And it was kind of like, well, where are we going to put these guys? They're in Group C or League C because they haven't played. So it was Anguilla, Puerto Rico, and Guatemala. And Guatemala just rocked. I mean, I think there were some 10 zeros in there. Um, And... And I think maybe that Guatemala didn't even allow a goal the entire time, and they ended up going through very easily getting promoted. Like Puerto Rico is also in a different stage of building than Anguilla, but they're similarly trying to build something long-term now with Dave Sarachan, uh, but with like a core of a lot of USL championship guys, actually. So that's another fascinating story in CONCACAF, again, that we probably don't talk about enough. But yeah, I mean, I, I think like just the simple fact that you have games that you know are going to happen, that you know you need to prepare for, it's really significant because how are you supposed to, I mean, look, like we talk about ages in soccer, right? And we say, okay, like you're in your development stage until you're 21, 22, you're maybe improving from 22 to 25, you're in your prime from 26 to 30, and then and then you go, right? Well, if I'm the player for Anguilla and I play my first World Cup qualifier at age 20, and the next game I play, I'm 24, and the next game I play, I'm 28, like my life cycle is, is four games, right? And there are guys who like in the CONCACAF region who I would consider like, kind of great CONCACAF players who did really impressive things in, in the English championship or sometimes even in like the Premier League or, or, or leagues on the continent in Europe or had great MLS careers and they ended their their national team career with like six caps. And it's like, well, how the hell did that happen? But it's because this organization wasn't there and the federations weren't willing to say, nah, come across the Atlantic and play. And there's also very little in it for the guys if they come across and play and it's not a good experience and things aren't organized and the facilities are bad and the, the, other, the other players aren't excited, you know. So those are the things that are changing that Nations League is helping to facilitate because now guys are like, yeah, I'm going to come across. I'm going to play these games and I know that next year I'm going to do it again and next year I'm going to do it again and next year I'm going to do it again. So I think the Nations League is, is absolutely massive for development and growth in the region. So, John, I, I want to shift gears. I think all of that kind of ties into the next competition that we have at least on the senior international level and that's world cup qualifying later this month what do you look for the viewers out there i know they are trying to bubble up they have teams that are you know not playing true home games some are just playing in this in neutral sites what what should we expect from this qualifying especially given how world cup qualifying is traditionally played in front of packed fans home stadiums you have home field advantages and that's really not prevalent or at least present for a lot of teams this month yeah i think it's a bit of a shame but it's the reality right i think that we've kind of all had to accept kind of the the best we can do and it does seem to me like concacaf and and the member associations and fifa which is concacaf will tell you they're the ones that are organizing this and the member associations are responsible for scheduling the games figuring out where they're going to be played etc etc uh I think it's a lot of people doing the best that they can right now. It, it, it sucks, right? There's really no other way to say it that, that you won't see, you know, even like in a, even Anguilla, right? It's like no one's able to go see the Anguilla games, even though there's no COVID on the island. People can't go in there and, and, and risk, you know, a huge team delegation traveling there and, and risking the, the spread of a virus, right? So I, I think it's like it's a bad situation. Things seem to be getting better in a lot of places, and I do have optimism and hope that by the – 
final round, we'll be able to have some of the scenes that we're used to seeing. Scenes like we had in 2018, scenes like we had in 2014, or at least those cycles, rather. But yeah, you're looking at sort of quasi-bubbles. The Dominican Republic strangely became sort of number one destination. Curacao, number two. I don't really know how this stuff kind of got organized. I mean, part of it is simply not being on the UK's red list. Uh, CONCACAF got pretty fortunate there because if more countries were on that list, I think they would have had to ask FIFA for an extension, basically, to do the, the games at a different time, like they're doing in South America. But since it's only Panama and any of the technically South America geographically, the, your Guianas, your Surinams, uh, I think they're going to be able to pull off most of the games successfully. And I think teams are mostly going to send uh, their squads as, as good as they can. You're going to have absences. You know, Trinidad and Tobago realized supposedly today that their European-based players are not going to be able to get into the Puerto Rico game because of because it's the U.S. and, and President Biden put in the the uh, the fourteen-day wait for a lot of people. It's a question mark as if Canada will have Jonathan David because Ligon is starting to uh, say that they're not going to release players. It's a question if Canada will have Alfonso Davies. Guyana has a lot of guys. They're on the red list. They're not playing in in Guyana. They're not playing at home, but they have a lot of guys who I think either declined or they're leaving out partly because of travel reasons, partly it seems like because of age uh, in the case of one, uh, Neil Dan. So, um, no, I mean, it's just everyone gets affected, right? Everyone gets hit. I guess, like, it's not fair because some teams are going to get hit harder, but I do think it's the best that they can do. For a long time, I was thinking, you know, these games were scheduled for October, and at that time it was like, what the heck are you doing? They delayed it, which I think was smart and savvy, and now it's like, yeah, you know – I wish it could be delayed farther, but FIFA already is kind of doing as much as it's willing to do, it seems. So, you know, as someone who loves CONCACAF and wishes we could see these full stadiums and wishes we could see teams playing in front of their fans and wishes we could see, you know, the best roster that Trinidad and Tobago has to offer against Puerto Rico, right? Like, I think they're doing the best with what they have, trying to keep everyone as safe as possible and all we can really do. And and look, like, I'll criticize CONCACAF when I when I when they deserve it, right? But like no one asked for this. No one asked for COVID-19. No one wants to be trying to figure out these protocols. No one wants to be in these situations, but it's the reality we live in. I think they're doing the best they can and all we can do is keep encouraging vaccination, keep crossing fingers that things get better all throughout the region before the next time we we meet, the next time we have those international dates. It just seems like, you know, just like FIFA, right? There's 211 FIFA associations. There's 211 different protocols, sometimes more. Cause like, if you think about the United States, there's really like 60 different protocols because some States have their own different ones. So I, I get that it's difficult. And I, I think you brought shed a lot of light on how that's difficult for all of these different teams trying to get in their players from all around the world. I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I was going to say, do you feel like lists, almost levels the playing field playing these neutral site games having a lot of these top teams that would have guys playing overseas not getting to use them are we going to see surprises this month yeah it's possible i think it's been really hard to predict kind of covid's effect on sports sometimes i've thought oh this team is gonna like i'm doing my bracket right now right and like virginia is getting into the bubble very late and it's like oh yeah they'll definitely lose they're gonna get upset for sure and then you're like I don't know, maybe not. Like maybe they're going to be better and like be excited or whatever. So you've seen like some weird blowout results that you wouldn't typically see, you know, but 
I think we'll have blowouts for sure because it's the first round of CONCACAF qualification and some teams are, are a bit overmatched. Again, the way to keep that from happening is continuing to encourage Nations League participation, continuing to encourage long-term planning, etc. But I think the teams that are typically strongest will still be able to, to flex that muscle. Look, even if Canada doesn't have Davies and David, you know, you're still looking at a team that that's really good and that should be able, should, uh, to see off Bermuda, right? Bermuda's good. Bermuda showed a, a really, really strong uh, face at the last Gold Cup. They're improving. They're getting better. But ultimately, if you, I guess the thing is, if you want to be in the next round of World Cup qualification, you should be able to get there, even if it means doing it with one or two key absences or even more, right? So maybe it levels the playing field, Eric, but I, I think your your favorites should still be the strong favorites and your underdogs should still kind of be the underdogs. And I, I think that will probably, it's not going to be chalk, it never is, but I think that it might have less of an effect than we're expecting. A lot of these teams aren't going to have, you know, fans or, or they're going to be reduced capacity. Have you gotten a sense of, you know, with the announcement of the Paramount Plus deal for for television, how that's going to, you know, maybe help and affect these teams um, at the financial level? I'm not sure what the terms of that deal look like. And it's, you know, remember that basically every federation sets its own TV situation. So uh, you could see some of that trickle down, I guess, in, in the U.S. for sure. And maybe CONCACAF is able to to do more in the future in terms of development in some of these countries. But it, it is worth keeping an eye on because you look at some of the corruption that's happened in the past. A lot of that is around TV rights packages and media rights packages. So I'm not sure that that one will do too much as far as some of the smaller countries. There are some like kind of pan-Caribbean networks that I think are are looking strong uh, from what I can understand, at least from from very much the outside. And, uh, and, and that that could kind of help kind of push development. And look, I think another key to that, like how do you get more people to watch it on TV? How do you make the media rights more valuable? Make the product better. So, I mean, a lot of the answers really comes back to just get get the soccer better. And some of these imports help that too, right? Like if you can recruit five guys that, that Jamaica, you know, has eligible for them and they're going to come across and they're going to play that are maybe based in the Premier League or the championship, like those guys will be interesting. Those guys will be exciting. They'll make the team better. And, and then you probably have a better product that a media rights company is willing to pay more for legitimately. So I think that's where the TV rights may be coming. So for these games that are coming up, are there teams or one or two teams that you're like, hey, they need to get out to a great start, otherwise they're in big trouble? Is there a team that like has to get out on the start? I mean, there's obviously Canada and a couple of the the favorites that want to get out to a good start, but is there a team that you're like, hey, they have a chance, but to do so, they have to come out the gate swinging? Yeah, for me, the biggest one is Trinidad and Tobago because you know they're they're expected to be in the next round. I think you know, like from history, from seating, etc. But their preparation seems like it's a bit of a mess, and they come right out of the gate against the team that I think might be able to jump them, Guyana. Uh, they play them first. It's you know it was not able to play in Trinidad and Tobago, so it's in the Dominican Republic now. I really think, and if you look at like their recent form, not I'm not talking about the U.S. friendly. That was that, to me, I kind of put that aside. But like, look at their games before that. Anguilla is basically the only team that, and we've talked plenty about Anguilla. We know their story. They're basically the only team that they've beaten in the last like two years. I mean, it's really, really rough when you look at their recent results. And now there are these accusations or there's an investigation into accusations that the coach potentially 
got into a physical skirmish with the PR guy. Ah, man, that just doesn't sound like the right, that doesn't sound like the right environment to me to have preparation for your biggest game in four years, right? So I think Trinidad and Tobago is one that absolutely has to get off to a quick start because if they don't, they're going to be in big, big trouble. The other one is Guatemala because I do think they're a talented team, but Curacao is the favorite in that group. Cuba calling in for the first time players based outside of Cuba uh, is going to be a stronger team than they've been in the past. So uh, I think that Guatemala is one where they also need to come firing out of the blocks because they want to challenge Curacao. They want to win that group and consider themselves a team that should make the octagonal. They've been playing a lot of friendlies. They played Nicaragua very like on a random Tuesday the other day. But uh, but yeah, um, I think those are the two, especially kind of bigger teams that I would circle because they do have expectation around them. Some of the smaller teams, you know, if if they lose again, they got Nations League coming. They'll keep building their projects. Fans are not going to be upset. But Guatemala and Trinidad and Tobago, I look at them. I think y'all might lose this round, and that's going to be trouble. <laughs> yeah. Well. Big games for a lot of a lot of countries coming up this month. John, I want to say thank you for your time answering these questions and was wondering if you might be interested in playing a little game with us. Yeah, big game for these CONCACAF countries. Big game for me. Let's do it. <laughs> All right. It is time for real team or fake team. It sounds as simple as the name. Uh, what we're going to do is... Jonathan and Donald are going to be uh, presenting these teams. They'll put out a team name that sounds like it could be made up like real salt lake or it could be uh completely it could be made up it could be real you don't know you have to guess um so we'll lead this off uh jonathan why don't you go first salsa ballers fc that's real that is correct it's a real team unreal that is a real team. The, uh, you guys remember the pro beach hockey? Yes. The uh, ESPN yes. show? Oh, I was they a, had a uh-huh. team called fan of Salsa. That. Yeah. I, I don't think you could ever be a fan of the teams. Oh, you were, you were the, what, what's the Wing Warriors? Is that what it is? It's what Web it Warriors. Web Warriors. Web Warriors. Web Warriors. Web Warriors. Was my squad. That, <laughs> yeah. Those lime yeah, green jerseys. It's cool because they had an email. That's why they're cool. <laughs> yeah. Tony Zabo was just a star in that league. <laughs> I gotta be honest, man. I wasn't expecting someone on this podcast to have more pro beach hockey knowledge than me, but you know, I gotta commend you. I gotta commend you on that one. All right, I'm ready for the anyway. Salsa ballers. It sounds like they could have played in that league, but I'm ready. I'm ready for the next one. All right, here we go. The next team we have is the Valley Boys. Boys spelled with a Z. Valley Boys with a Z. I'm gonna say that's also a real team in St. Vincent and the Grenadines. No, that is a fake team. Uh, this is, uh, the Valley is the capital, if you will, of, of Anguilla. Anguilla. Uh, and so I just took that and made up a name out of that. Yeah. That's a good, that's a good one. Especially yeah. the specificity of the Z. I was like, well, if it's got the Z, it's gotta be, <laughs> it's gotta be that's how we get you. But yeah, all of these teams theoretically play in Anguilla. So dolphin warriors. I think that one is a fake team. That is correct. It is a fake team. All right. If you could put a laser on a dolphin, then maybe <laughs> they could, they, they, you could use that laser to play soccer, and then they would be pretty unstoppable. Speaking of dolphins, though, uh, Anguilla's oh, uh, yeah. Federation rebrand, absolute yeah. best crest in CONCACAF by far. Yeah, 
It's great. I uh, the president told me they were redesigning. Now I was like, no, don't, because they have the 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 number with the three dolphins circling around it on the kit. Uh-huh. He's like, oh no, the dolphins aren't going anywhere, man. I was like, okay, okay, <laughs> cool, cool. cool. <laughs> Just save the dolphins. Just save the dolphins. Yeah. <laughs> All right. The next one is simply Diamond FC. I think that's a fake team as well. That is a real team. Diamond oh, finished seventh last year in the AFA Senior Male League. Oh, man. You never know. And the final one for me, Kicks United FC. I think that one's real. That is. That is a, that is a real team um, <laughs> that I believe they finished eighth last year. They have the second most teams. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, they are the second. Uh, they have the second most titles in Anguillan Senior Male League history with five. Uh, and the final team. All right. You've done pretty well so far. The final team is an acronym. It is YHLQ MDLG. Wait, YHLQ? Oh, I thought. See, I thought this was a bad bunny joke. I thought this was a because his last album or his two albums ago was Y. H yo hago que me no okay I'm gonna say fake team that is a fake team and you were dead right that is <laughs> bad body album yo hago okay, lo, okay. yo hago lo que me la dada <laughs> yo, yo, yo hago yeah yo hago que me de la ganas no I but you said it in a way that I thought it wasn't that exact series of letters but yeah uh, so but yeah you're you're absolutely correct I just I just recited the album name so that is a fake team. Although Bad Bunny is very real and very awesome. Yes. I try. I, I look, I, I don't love tagging, you know, like when you interview an athlete or whatever, like, you know, as a journalist, it like feels a little weird to then tag the athlete to be like, Hey, retweet me. But you do want them to, because you need that exposure, right? Like this whole game is, is a clicks game. Right. And, and, and like the sad reality is we need clicks. Right. So I tagged, I did tag Bad Bunny on the Puerto Rico men's national team newsletter that i did i'm still waiting on that retweet i don't i don't know i really i, really, I didn't have my fingers crossed i'll be honest with you i knew he wasn't going to retweet it but i was like you know there's an off chance they would have ma- massive signal boost if bad oh, yeah, bunny is listening to this please retweet his his article on puerto rico <laughs> and his podcast we both, we both yeah we'll both we'll both take that we would we would love the engagement for the brand so it looks like recapping. It looks like how many did he get, Jonathan? Did he get three or four? four? He got, he he got four? four. He got four of six. Four or six. So you are tied with myself and Jonathan. You, <laughs> everyone has gotten four. So I think that's basically the going rate around these parts. It's the high score and the low score. <laughs> Correct. You, you've done great. So I think the pressure's on me next time. Whenever I get to play. So yeah, text me, guys. I'll give you some good fake ones or real ones. You don't know. Ooh, God, pull, we might hold you pull, to that. Pulling in a ringer to come up with fake team names. <laughs> we gotta we gotta stump Eric. We gotta stump him. So yeah, that's how it works. We'll see. But John, thank you so much. Uh we've taken enough of your time, but we really appreciate you joining us and uh spinning yarn about uh the greatest confederation in world soccer. Where can everybody find uh your work other than just the uh the CONCACAF newsletter? Yes, I have managed to be a freelance journalist who has the most complicated way of finding my stuff. Best way is Twitter. My tag is at Arnold, comma, John. Spell out the word comma. John has no H. Uh, You can also, I think at this point, Google John Arnold Soccer and some stuff will come up. 
but yeah, I, I mean, my work is in a lot of different places, especially my newsletter, getting CONCACAF, the striker Texas, which covers soccer, uh, in Texas where I'm, where I'm based and where I'm from. Um, and, and great sites near you. No, I got a bunch of stuff coming out. So keep an eye on. <laughs> Sounds great. We are looking forward to it. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having me. Much love and CONCACAF, and we'll talk soon. All right, that was great. Thanks again to John for coming on. Now we're going to hit what's next in CONCACAF, and what's next is possibly the most important thing we got going on. We got World Cup qualifying coming up. Uh, starts later this month. Uh, the first stage of qualifying for the 2022 FIFA World Cup in Qatar. We're going to go group by group and kind of lay out what's going on. So let's start with Group A. Features El Salvador, Antigua and Barbuda, Grenada, Montserrat, and the U.S. Virgin Islands. Donald, what are you looking for out of Group A? So I'm going to give you three teams. The team I'm rooting for, the, the team I think is going to come out of this group, and the team that I'm interested to watch. So the team I'm rooting for, Antigua and Barbuda. Love that country, one of my favorite islands, and I want to go back. Very simply why I'm rooting for them. The team I think is going through, though, is El Salvador. We talked about them before, but I think El Salvador is the strongest team out of this group. They're the seeded team as well. And the team that I'm interested in and very intrigued is Montserrat. Why? Because, again, I want to go visit Montserrat. To get to Montserrat for us, you have to go through Antigua and Barbuda. So I, I hate that both of them can't make it so that we can't just island hop from there. But I think Montserrat is a team that almost got to League A in Nations League. They had a stretch where they were think where they were trying to do something. And so I want to see if they can maybe pull off an upset or two in this group. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm rooting, rooting for Montserrat just because I saw the jerseys and I'm, I'm all about the, the Emerald Boys. Uh, so I think, I think that, uh, and, and visiting Montserrat, uh, I agree that I think El Salvador is going to be the team that comes out of here. But I, I, I think Montserrat is, is the team that I'm pulling for. Yeah, I think it's fairly obvious El Salvador's much higher ranked than any of these teams. El Salvador's got a track record. You would expect them to get business done in this group. But as far as what I want to see, Montserrat, please come through. Like, we need you to get through. I want to go watch a soccer game on a volcano. You know, that's all I that's all I really want in life is just soccer games and volcanoes. Uh, but, I mean, this is a very interesting group of minnows. And the other team that really interests me is Grenada. And why Grenada? Because of this. FIFA World Cup qualifiers, Grenada versus the U.S. Virgin Islands at the Kirani James Athletic Stadium. Your Spice Boys are back in action. Tuesday, 30th March, game time, 7 p.m. sharp, with no fans in the stands. No fans? Well, we're making we own party. We're broadcasting live on Flow Grenada, channels 1000 and 1001. And I'll be streaming that on my big screen TV, cooking up pato island. Call Flow today to add your channel for only $20. Well, it's mass. 
with me and my family. That's right. Support your three-time Gold Cup qualifier, Team Grenada. For more info, call or WhatsApp 473-353-2090 or 440-9903. Sponsored by Glenel Springwater, Flow, and the Grenada Cooperative Bank. And that is an ad for the Grenada <laughs> match against the U.S. Virgin Islands. And if I could distill everything I love about CONCACAF into like a bottle to drink, it would be that ad. Into Let me tell like that I would could you call it Spice Boys? Spice Boys. Like just distill that. Let me sit on a veranda near a beach and enjoy that at sunset. Like that ad is phenomenal. Let me tell you, that is the most CONCACAF thing about ads is that they all sound like that. I have been in country in Antigua and Barbuda and also St. Vincent and the Grenadines, St. as Vincent, you were. Yeah. Erica, shout out oh, Vinci yeah. Heat. They have the exact same ads. It is always like some dude that is trying to advertise for a monster jam, like Sunday, <laughs> Sunday, Sunday. <laughs> but it has steel drums and reggae music or, or soca music behind it, and it gets you, it gets you fired up. I mean, I listened to the Antigua one. It was like, get out there early, man. It's going to be great. And, you, and like, I was hype about watching them play until I realized, wait, I'm not supposed to be hype about them. We're playing them. So I can't be <laughs> too hype about them. But it's, it is that type of flavor and that type of energy that we love. You almost get nervous that they are too hype because they oh, get yeah. that. We don't, we don't have that in the United States. We don't have that kind of flavor. Yeah, we're and just like, hey, game's on Thursday. Come yeah. watch. And we cry. We have to create the energy. Them? No. They are hype before they even get to the game. A lot of hype. All right. So that is Group A. Group B, we've got Canada, Suriname, Bermuda, Cayman Islands, and Aruba. Jonathan, who do you think is coming out of this group? I mean, I think the pretty obvious one here is, I think this may be the most clear-cut, is Canada. I mean, they're they're the, the clear-cut favorite in this, and I think if they did not get out of this group, uh, I mean, I think it would it would be seen as a failure for them. And they're, they're a national team that is. Um, you have guys like Jonathan David, Alfonso Davies. Um, you've seen them uh, bring in a lot of uh, newer uh, and young players that they have with a lot of lot of upside, and so I think that they are definitely the the clear cut favorite. Suriname is definitely one to keep an eye on. Um, they have we've seen you know recently with them trying to you know identify much like the U.S. has and and other nations dual nationals uh, with them calling in several dual nationals. I mean, so I think I think they may prove to be the toughest test there. Um, you know, I, I would like to see our uh, small neighbor from the north make it, but if our our, na- our 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 small neighbor from the north does not make it, Cayman Islands, here we go. Yeah, the only way that Canada doesn't make it out of this group is if Alfonso Davies and Jonathan David and those type of guys that are coming from Europe are like banned from all island play uh, and don't show up for World Cup qualifiers. That's really the only chance that all these other mm-hmm. teams have of catching an upset. But uh, if the Caymans could do it. Eric and I have been to that field in, you know, on the what glorious. six inches of water that was on it. It's a glorious country. You know, send me back right now. Aruba is, a, I know, I know you said Surya and Jonathan, but uh, Aruba is also a team that I think is very intriguing uh, because they've, ha- again, they've had the opportunity to grab some of these dual nationals. They just haven't been as successful yet as Suriname or Curacao, but they do have that opportunity to pull a couple of them. So it'll be interesting to see if they do. I know one thing we talk about a lot on this podcast and really the basis for this podcast is Island qualifiers. And 
the opportunity to travel and see these games. If you were a Canadian soccer fan, you looked at this group and think thought you hit the lottery. You're like, I don't even want to qualify for the World Cup because this group is just as good. <laughs> and if you're Canada, you are getting hosed because their two games this month, home, quote-unquote, to Bermuda, they can't play in Canada because Trudeau's still got the place locked down for good reason. Away to the Cayman Islands, also not happen- happening in the Cayman Islands because Cayman's closed. So both those games are happening in Florida. So the reason why they're doing that is because is not necessarily because of the Caymans, is because of Canada. Canada has banned all travel to and from what they call winter destinations, which is the entire Caribbean. So entire because <laughs> the so the entire group basically, and let, they're basically hoping they could get like you know El Salvador or something like that. They're hoping to get Central America teams because any team that is considered a Caribbean team they could not travel to, and those teams could not travel to Canada. Thus, they have met in the middle in Florida, which yeah, I guess which is sort I of in the middle, but not. <laughs> I, 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 I see some irony in, in them banning all travel to winter destinations, uh, and then they're going to DeSantis's COVID party in, uh, <laughs> in Orlando. That was a choice. I don't know if it was the <laughs> right one, but we'll see. It was a choice. We kind of referenced it earlier, but if you happen to live in Florida on the 25th, you could see Canada play Bermuda in Orlando. On the 27th, you could see Aruba play Suriname in Bradenton. And on the 28th, you could see the Cayman Islands play Canada in Bradenton. Like, it's all the soccer. Yeah, all the soccer. It's a shame that we've got a global pandemic happening, you know? I definitely kind of want Suriname to surprise some people um, with the dual nationals. I think that's a big thing. Also, Suriname, great travel destination. Canada, been there, whatever as an American sports fan and a hockey fan would not be upset to see Canada disappointed, but for our plucky neighbors to the North, maybe they'll, they'll get something done. All right. Moving on to group C we've got Curacao, Guatemala, St. Vincent, the Grenadines, shout out Vince heat, uh, Cuba and the British Virgin islands, Donald, we already know who you're rooting for. Uh, so gang, who, do gang. Think, who, who do you think is getting through? Oh, this uh, who do I think is getting through? Yeah. I, I think it's Curacao. Uh, but the, and you know, shout out Vincey Heat. They're, they're the squad. Uh, I hope they Much go well. all the way. Uh, I, I need, I need more qualifiers there, but I think the intriguing matchup, the, the biggest matchup possibly of this first round is going to be when Curacao faces Guatemala because Guatemala the only reason they were in League C is because their whole federation was suspended from FIFA for a year or two. So they had to go all the way down to League C. They weren't out of suspension before they drew those lines up. And they killed everybody by like six, seven, eight, sometimes 10 goals. They murdered everybody. And so their biggest test is going to be against Curacao. So whoever wins that game is going to be the team that wins this group. I think Curacao is the one that has it. They have Goose Hinnick as coach, and they've been going after a lot of dual nationals from the Netherlands. And really, you know, half the team is basically guys that play that played at one point abroad. But Curacao has been really investing into their program by getting Goose and putting that focus in on getting in some of these good players. If they can get over this hump, and they can get into the octagon, that will be just as fine with me too because I love me some Blue Curacao. I do want to make a quick note before we get to you, Jonathan. Curacao plays Guatemala on the last match day, June 8th. So that 
the entire that could group. be for everything. That could be for the whole shebangabang to get through. Uh, Jonathan, what are you looking for in this group? I mean, I think looking at this group, this may be the most wide open. Yes, Curacao is the favorite, uh, and, and Guatemala definitely is someone to keep an eye on. But I think that you know we've seen uh, uh, Vinci Heat uh, make it further in, in World Cup qualifying. Um, you know, John touched on when we talked to him earlier, Cuba uh, calling in players from outside of Cuba for the first time ever. Uh, and so, I mean, what does that national team look like uh, under that? So, I mean, we could see them uh, perform much better. I think, you know, British Virgin, uh, BVI may be the, the whipping boys of this of this team. But I think I think you really have three teams that could realistically, and it, w- it wouldn't be a huge upset for them to get out. St. Vincent was kind of the Cinderella of the 2018 cycle, kind of getting further than people would have expected for a nation of that stature. They are close to my heart. I'm really hoping that they can make some magic. They've got tough game right off the bat. They're away to Curacao. If you can sneak a result there, maybe you can put yourself in a good position because uh, they follow that up with a home a, home game, quote-unquote, against British Virgin Islands that will also be played in Curacao. So they get to go to one place, almost kind of bubble up, and hopefully get some results um, before they head into June, where it's kind of do or die. Um, British Virgin Islands, it was fun. (laughs) I don't think you're getting anything out of this group. But yeah, it's Guatemala, Curacao, and praying for St. Vincent. Moving on to Group D. We've got Panama, the Dominican Republic, Barbados from our first episode, uh, Dominica, and our guests of honor, Anguilla. Donald, what are you looking for in Group D? So I think the team that's going to get out of there is Panama. Uh, I'm rooting for Barbados because I'd love to go back. Again, great country. Shout out the first episode uh, where we talked about the place we went to to get the bacon with a side of shrimp. Uh, but <laughs> I think the most intriguing team, the team that's supposed to get out of this group is Panama. The team that's most intriguing is also Panama because what Panama team is going to show up? They had a a year where, you know, they had a group that was really good and those guys have started to kind of dwindle. They're starting to kind of retool their national team program and their player pool. Is the, are those guys ready for prime time? This is the first test because they really haven't had many tests over the last year or so due to COVID. So we're going to get to see them really in earnest for the first time this month. They need to get out of the gate swinging because they need all the confidence that they can get. If they leave March with a loss and they're in you know second or third place in the group, that's going to be big time trouble in my opinion for them. Yeah, I I think that Panama is in a similar place that Costa Rica is as well as far as you know they had had that core group that has kind of started to age out and they're trying to. I think Costa Rica is a little bit ahead in that process of you know integrating some of some of their other players, but I think that. Um, I think that Panama should should go through. The team that I'm rooting for is is Dominica. Um, you know, I have uh, Eric and I played on a, a soccer team with a friend that actually uh, played for the youth teams in Dominica. So uh, I'm always going to pull for them. You would assume Panama is going to get business done here. They made the last World Cup. You would think they should be able to get out of a group with knowing that you're getting three points off one of the worst teams in the world. You're getting three points off Dominica. You're getting three points off Barbados. Like they, There's no reason they shouldn't be walking out of this group without 12 points and moving on to the next round. Dominican Republic's interesting just because they've got a lot of fresh faces and they're playing these other teams that are not 
necessarily good teams. Like they can get results. So, and the other thing, and they can get goals. Yeah. Goal differential is going to be a big deal. Goal differential is going to be a big deal. And the one other thing I'm looking for is Anguilla. Do they score a goal? Like that's, it's, it'd be a huge milestone for them to get a result out of this, much less score a goal. So I'm kind of pulling for them uh, since we're so familiar with them at this point. Uh, So that wraps up group D group E we got Haiti, Nicaragua, Belize, St. Lucia, and the Turks and Caicos islands. Uh, Jonathan, it's gotta be Haiti, right? Yeah. I mean, I think Haiti's the, the clear favorite here. Uh, Nicaragua is intriguing. Um, they had some, you know, fair results and they had a few results in, in the end of 2020, all three of them being draws against Panama, Guatemala and Honduras. So, I mean, those teams are, are a little bit different and they did play actually back in February. They, they lost one zero to, to, to Guatemala. Um, I think that it's going to come down to them. It's going to be come down to them and Haiti. And it's probably going to be a question of, you know, I think what we talked about goal difference is, is it where they're going to be with, you know, Belize, St. Lucia and Turks and Caicos. It could come down to that fight, the, the game against Haiti and Nicaragua to decide who goes through. Yeah. And again, that game, the last match day. So a lot of drama we're looking forward to in June. Uh, What do you think, Donald? Yeah, I I think, you know, Nicaragua is the intriguing matchup or at least intriguing team. Uh, If you recall, the U.S. actually played them back in 2017 in the Gold Cup. Uh, So they they have some experience at getting to continental competition uh, and they are, is this team ready to do that for the World Cup and get to that second round? Because, again, once you get to that second round, anything can happen. It's, it's a really – you know which team you're going to play, and you can figure out how to beat them in a two-legged series. But I do think Haiti is the are the kings of this group. St. Lucia would be great. Turks and Caicos would be great just from an, a visiting standpoint. But I think Haiti is the class of this group and should advance, I think. But I think, again, that Haiti-Nicaragua matchup is going to be the most – uh, anticipated one of this group. I'm a little little disappointed you brought up that 2017 Gold Cup game against Nicaragua, Nicaragua uh, simply because it was played in a terrible, terrible place. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, you both were there. I, 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 I avoided that game. This is a strictly anti-Cleveland podcast. So <laughs> oh. I, I, would res- I would like you to respect that. Yeah, yeah, and if you're you're a listener in Cleveland, um, I'm not sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you're a listener in Cleveland, why are you still there? Anyways, yeah, Haiti-Nicaragua, that game in June, I could see them both going into that game with nine points and being up for grabs. Um, and yeah, goal differential. If that game ends up in a draw, if you're, both teams are sitting at 10 points at the end of the day because they couldn't beat each other, then it... How badly did you beat up on the Turks? How badly did you beat up on St. Lucia? Like, it's going to make a difference. Um, would definitely love to see St. Lucia or Turks just because, you know, I'm trying to get passport stamps here. So that wraps up Group E. And finally, we've got Group F. Uh, group F is headlined by Trinidad and Tobago with St. Kitts and Nevis, Guyana, Puerto Rico, and the Bahamas. Donald, Trinidad and Tobago. What do we think here? I think they're the team that is the best suited to get out of this group. Like, you know, like John said, there's 
a lot of issues with them and whether or not they have retooled their player pool to kind of move forward uh, after the last eight years where they had a couple of guys that have been around for forever. Do they get past this? I think they do. I think they're the ones that get out of this group. Interesting team though, Puerto Rico because of Dave Sarakin and the fact that he's really good at bringing a player pool and pulling it together, especially guys that haven't really played before. We saw that, you know, a little bit with the U S national team back in 2018 when he was the interim coach. But I think he, he being their head coach presents an intriguing option and also makes you want to tune in and see what they can do. I will say St. Kitts and Nevis, a wonderful, beautiful country. They're not going to make it, but if they do, we are going on that train that goes around that Island all day <laughs> with drinks. It's, it's great. I mean, if they do make it, I like, I, I want Anguilla to make it as well, which would be just a wild ending. So we can, we can see a showdown between, Anguilla and and St. Kitts and Nevis to make the octagon. But I think Donald, you're right. I mean, Puerto Rico is the team that I that I noticed and and you know penciled in as a, being a potential upset. And then, I mean, you know, Guyana, we've seen them in, in continental competition as well. Uh, and so you never know what, what's gonna happen. I think Bahamas are probably the the clear uh you know bottom team in this group. They're the the Bahamas are the punching bag here. So Trinidad, it's it's kind of on them to not lose here. Like they should be getting through. They do have arguably like their games this month are arguably their two toughest. Uh, They play Guyana, which should have been their home game. That's going to be in the Dominican Republic. And then they go to Puerto Rico on three days rest to play PR. So if Trinidad doesn't take care of business in March, they could be in a really tough position. Uh, come June and the last thing you want to do is leave things to chance so if you don't take care of business early it could be sphincter tightening time for yeah and the same thing with Puerto Rico is they open it up against St. Kitts and Nevis and uh, oh in in the Dominican Republic if you know they win get a draw against Trinidad and Tobago at home I mean they're sitting there on on four points and in a good position with only uh, the Bahamas and, and Guyana to play yeah, so I would love to see, I mean, we look at each one of these groups and there's the one-seeded team in each group and you kind of assume that, like, there's a clear favorite in each group. I would love to see some surprises and I I would like to talk myself into thinking that there will be a surprise team, but I I just don't know. I think there will be. And the reason why I say that is that every cycle, there is at least one surprise in the group. Now, it may be from the first to the second round. It may be from the second round to the final round, which was the Hex and now is the Octagon. But every single time, I mean, think about it. Four years ago, that surprise team was Trinidad and Tobago. Before that, it was El Salvador. Uh, in 2016, one of the surprise teams in our group was Vinci Heat. There are teams that can always shock CONCACAF and get in further and punch way above their weight class. I expect one of those to happen. I'm not sure which team it will be, but we have to expect there's going to be some fireworks, particularly this month. Yeah, I'd, I I want to say that if we we do see some surprises, I want to make sure that those surprises also carry over from from the second round into into the octagon. So because I want interesting places to go once this is all over. And yeah, once we don't we have that travel. many. I think we only have one island qualifier as of right now. We we need that to change. We need yeah. We need a few more. So islands, I need it's time for you to step up. Caribbean Football Union. Let's go. 
let's yeah. go CFU. We need we need you guys to pull through for us for our for our passport for the sake of our passports. So yeah, a lot of interesting games coming up. Uh, I hope everyone has their Paramount Plus subscriptions in place. I have not seen a schedule as to what's going to be televised or when, um, but these might be the most accessible World Cup qualifiers that we've seen to date. Um, and that's something really, really exciting. Looking forward to uh, games kicking off later this month. That about wraps us up, so we will hit stoppage time. Donald, Jonathan, you want to tell us about your other projects? Yeah, I mean, you, you know, with MLS starting to wrap starting to, to get started so you can find me at, at j slave ssp on twitter um or at broadway sports media slash uh, speedway soccer uh, you can find me find me at those uh, and you know talking mls and, and also talking you know some cocky cast stuff as well for me at blazing dw b-l-a-z-i-n-d-w i run the stars and stripes fc podcast usually comes out at the end of each week there is a lot going on in the world of U.S. soccer, namely Olympic qualifying, which starts on the 18th of March. And then they have two friendlies, the men's national team does, against Jamaica and then against Northern Ireland. So uh, for all that coverage, hit starsandstripesfc.com. Follow me on Twitter. See all the action. Again, make sure you follow us on Twitter. Uh, the World of CONCACAF podcast can be found at PodcaCaf on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. If you have any questions or feedback, feel free to email us at podcacaf at gmail.com. Make sure you subscribe, rate, review, follow, what have you. Support our podcast because uh, we love doing this and it's been a good time so far. Want to thank Yang Threads for the support. Want to thank John Arnold for being the first guest. Uh, fantastic interview. Really love having him on. And we will be back after World Cup qualifying to talk more content. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you later.